Hey, everybody. Welcome to OK Talks. I'm your host, Oliver Kendall. I'm a lifelong political nerd with an academic background in international relations and security policy, who's also worked for a number of liberal political campaigns and organizations. I've also gotten to live outside the U.S. for a couple of years, which, I think, puts me in a good position to comment for my American audience on some events of note happening outside the country, and to interpret for my, I'm pleased to say, growing non-American audience just what the hell's going on in American politics. Now, I may be talking about what I'm going to be talking about today because my phone was just pickpocketed here in Barcelona and I'm angry about it, or the fact that I just heard that there was yet another shooting outside my old apartment in D.C., but this experience and that news reminded me just how disconcerting crime can be in an otherwise stable environment. Also, on a broader political level, it is poison for the left and a gift from whatever god you may or may not believe in for the right. Left-leaning political parties and governments lose all the time because of it. Look at America a couple decades ago. Republicans took huge political power on the back of people's fear and anger in response to a massive crime wave. More recently, look at Brazil and the Philippines. What do they have in common? Well, both are run by lunatic fascists actively dismantling any democratic constraints on their authority. What was a major factor in the rise of both Rodrigo Duterte and Jair Bolsonaro? Well, the fact that both countries, especially Brazil, have a massive crime problem that the government at the national level didn't really properly address, and these men demagogued the crap out of it. Duterte has bragged about how he himself personally killed alleged criminals as the mayor of Davao, a city in the south of the Philippines, uh, and continues to speak in almost comically vicious and really graphic terms about what he wants to do to criminals. I seem to remember one time where he went off on a tangent about how he would like to eat their livers with salt or something. Bolsonaro in Brazil has said that you're not a real police officer until you've killed someone. Both of these men are disgusting and reprehensible in their own special ways, but for the people who have been the victims of crimes, there can be a sort of vindictive satisfaction that comes with hearing a leader channeling your anger, knowing they're going to take it to the people who came after you and made you feel unsafe. In the States, Republicans win all the time on a message of law and order, all but accusing Democrats of personally handing criminals the keys to your house. Now, to be fair, lately, they've had some unintended help, I would say, from the left in that attack on the Democratic Party. Probably the single most terrible slogan in a generation, at least from the standpoint of, you know, accurately communicating the position of those saying it, and also of winning elections, was defund the police. Not because proponents of the slogan don't have some good ideas about redirecting funding to other social programs, but because that isn't really expressed in the slogan, which tends to require, like, a paragraph of explanation to make it clear that those pushing it aren't actually suggesting that we should live in the purge. People seem increasingly aware of some of the problems with the way policing is done in America at the moment. That's obviously a good thing. But I don't have faith that in the next few election cycles, which are critical to the future of American democracy for a whole bunch of reasons we've discussed in previous episodes, I don't have faith that increased awareness of the need to reform some policing practices 
will seem more important to enough people. That's to say, uh, will outweigh politically the fact that right now, crime is substantially up in the short term. The long-term trend is still down, though that's pretty easy for those trying to tie Democrats to a supposed crime epidemic uh, to forget to mention. Also, Democrats these days don't seem to have a lot of good short-term answers for this that I'm aware of. Or if we do, we don't seem to be that interested in talking about them anyway. Not exactly the core of our messaging, because, well, and I'm sure there are exceptions to this, so, you know, please save your angry emails. I think for a lot of us, it's just that not that interesting, like, as a policy area. And besides the inevitable involvement of the police, none too popular on the left at the moment, for many folks on the left concerned, with good reason, I would argue, with sweeping issues of justice more broadly, we are more drawn to, for example, the injustice of police forces, often acting in a way that seems to apply force uh, unequally across different communities, or the injustice of massive white-collar crime, uh, with a much broader array of victims being massively under-prosecuted, um, or the injustice of profound wealth inequality that definitely contributes to some uh, petty crime, for example. And in doing so, we often forget the individual injustices inflicted on individuals who are the victims of muggings or identity theft or some other quote-unquote petty crimes. The plans Democrats and the left globally tend to come up with to address crime are often so upstream that they're practically in a different body of water. These solutions do not tend to help the victims of crime right now. Reducing poverty over the long term is a worthy goal on its own, even if it didn't also help reduce crime, which I'm sure that it would. But the idea that we might one day end poverty and thus fix crime is small consolation to a person who doesn't have that much money to begin with, but as a result of unchecked crime now, is suddenly out a thousand bucks because the evolution of technology and society have resulted in it basically being required that everybody carry around a supercomputer in their pocket, and most of us haven't yet started handcuffing the thing to our wrists. Huh, maybe I should look into that. While many of us on the left may not care that much about crime, crime cares about us. Whether in the form of some jackass reaching into your pocket and swiping an object we almost all realistically now have to own, worth a month's rent, which is something many if not most people simply can't afford, remember most Americans literally don't have enough money saved in order to survive a $400 emergency, and a stolen smartphone is most certainly that. Or in the form of a huge number of people to whom something like that has happened, voting in the next election for a political party promising to prioritize solving that problem, which, as far as I know, let's face it, is almost never one of the parties on the left. So do I, Oliver, have some brilliant 13-point proposal to solve this issue? You know, besides the usual, just dramatically increasing police presence, lowering the bar on probable cause, and upping penalties for quote-unquote petty crime? <laughs> no. Like many on our side politically, again, I think, this just isn't an issue that's ever been that interesting to me. Until the day it happens to me, of course. In line with that, it looks like this will end up being rather a shorter episode of OK Talks than usual as well. <laughs> You're welcome. But those solutions that I just unseriously mentioned, well, we've tried them, and it turns out they tend to result in racial profiling, unacceptable levels of police violence, etc. But we on the left, we're supposed to be the policy people. 
as I've discussed in the last few episodes, the right, right now at least, whether the right generally in the United States or the far right in much of the rest of the world, just doesn't seem to be offering much at the moment besides conspiracy theory and intense dislike of immigrants with maybe some anti-vaccine lunacy sometimes thrown in for good measure. In contrast to our side's deep interest in policy and, I think, pretty broad array of good ideas, surely somebody on our side can come up with something that manages to not result in terrible abuses while also providing something a little more tangible than, I know, will reduce crime by someday fixing poverty. Because this issue is coming for us. Republicans don't have a lot going for them, so you can bet that even though the temporary spike in crime started partway through Trump's presidency, I guarantee you we're going to hear the words Biden crime wave during the midterms, and we're going to get tagged with it in every election for a generation to come unless we demonstrate that we at least care about this issue and that it's possible to care deeply about inequities and violence and policing and want reform while also caring about the victims of crime and wanting to reduce and prevent it. We on the left need a better answer on crime specifically than, well, poverty is bad, the police are too mean, and we can't put as many people in prison as we are. Now, those things are all largely true, at least kind of. I certainly don't want to paint all police officers as terrible, the ones I know certainly aren't. But while the idea that police are too aggressive may resonate in the context of victimless crimes, like drugs or, on a lower level, something like, I don't know, public urination or something like that, the increasing number of people out there who have been physically attacked by criminals or just had someone reach into their pocket and pull out a couple of months' rent in the form of an iPhone whose Apple Care insurance has expired, most people remember that experience. They remember it, and not fondly. <laughs> it's hard on an individual level to be such a saint that your response to such an event is, Oh well, sucks to be me, but I guess we should just make sure whoever stole my phone has better job prospects so they won't have to resort to robbing other not-very-rich people in order to make money. No. Most people's response to this is to suddenly have dramatically lower social trust, the single factor most likely to have determined whether someone voted for Trump in the last couple of elections, I think, by the way. Something that I bet crosses borders to other liberal democracies, as the nationalist far-right has a lot in common around the world. A lot of people, I suspect, it makes want to say, screw you, I'm voting for the party that promises to keep me safe by locking up the people who attack me and throwing away the key. The existence of those sentiments is not a good thing for the left. So let's, those of us on the left and center-left, do more to demonstrate right now that we care about this issue, come up with some solutions that actually apply in the short term. As a side note, sort of personal point of privilege, Spain is an incredible country, with an excellent standard of living that generally takes good care of its citizens and immigrants alike. I love Spain. Que viva España. I'm grateful to it. I'm really happy to be here in Barcelona. Gotta fix this, though. This is just anecdotal, of course, so please don't take this as some sort of serious statistical analysis, but I've been to 28 countries now, and I think literally every crime that has ever happened to me has been here in Spain. I'm sure there are many reasons for this, in addition to just having been here way longer, but I bet one of them is the fact that, according to the BBC, court's interpretation of a 2015 reform of the penal code means that first-time petty criminals rarely go to prison, and even those caught reoffending will often pay a fine rather than going to jail, as long as what they steal isn't worth that much. This problem with crime seems to be especially true in Catalonia, the northeasternmost province whose capital is Barcelona. 
Here in Barcelona, some studies over the last little while show the crime rate over time has been substantially higher than, I believe, most of the rest of the country. I should say that I do also have it on good authority that at least some of those statistics are often presented in a way that's misleading so that certain interest groups can attack the quite-left mayor of Barcelona. That said, a number of outlets from the BBC to some of the main ones here in Spain have laid out numbers that make it pretty clear that Barcelona, especially in the couple of years leading up to the pandemic, uh, has had a bigger problem with crime than does at least the rest of Spain, and it was getting worse, you know, before the world ended back in early 2020. In 2019, according to The Guardian referencing police statistics, violent street robberies increased by 30%, two of which, incidentally, were tried and failed on me. The U.S. Embassy even issued a warning to tourists visiting the city the summer of that year. Funnily enough, according to La Vanguardia, one of the main newspapers in Spain and based here in Catalonia, Barcelona has actually experienced a more dramatic drop in crime during the pandemic than any other major city in Spain. Now, this points at something that I think a lot of people here already kind of know instinctively, which is that a lot of the crime here really targets foreigners who, you know, just suddenly weren't here anymore starting in early 2020. While polls often show crime is the number one issue Barcelonans are concerned about, again, according to La Vanguardia, I have, and again, this is personal anecdotal, definitely come across at least some Catalans, especially those who are supportive of the very far-left government of Barcelona or the separatist leadership at the provincial level, seem to kind of laugh off crime here as a problem that only applies to tourists and foreigners, which, for one thing, is infuriating and insulting as an immigrant to feel like a decent number of the people from here have just decided that people not from here don't deserve to be safe here, Though I guess it shouldn't shock me for a number of other reasons about hardcore Catalan nationalists that, that I will rant about on a different day in a different episode. But this country, and this province specifically, rely heavily on tourism. Now, it can be fun, I understand, kind of cathartic to rhetorically spit at the tourists, and visitors here can often be incredibly obnoxious. I've seen enough shirtless tourists who think they're in Phuket or Ibiza rather than a major city and cultural center, the proud regional capital of one of Spain's most important comunidades autonomous. I've seen too many drunk, obvious visitors peeing behind garbage containers in the broad daylight not to be sympathetic to Catalans who, well, take a dim view of the tourists. But Catalonia will take a huge economic hit if the word gets out that visiting Barcelona comes at a substantially higher cost than the sticker price, because you may as well factor in the price of a new phone or watch as part of the cost of your trip. And word does seem to be getting out. I mentioned before that crime is often ranked as the number one issue Barcelonans are concerned about. And also, non-Spanish outlets from Bloomberg to TripAdvisor have reported on problems with crime here. Bottom line, in the long run, Barcelona can be a city whose economy relies heavily on tourism, or it can be one with a reputation for having an out-of-control crime problem, but it cannot be both. Also, beyond the reputational damage to the tourism industry, crime is just bad for the economy. An argument that applies everywhere. The almost 1,000 euros somebody here spends on a new iPhone may represent a profit for Apple, but that's 1,000 euros that person doesn't spend on local restaurants, local stores, museums, etc. Furthermore, the same political risks that I talked about in more detail in the U.S. context apply here, too. Vox, the Spanish far-right party, continues to be outnumbered by the separatist parties in Catalonia, 
But every election, it seems to, bit by bit, gain more of the anti-separatist vote for a number of reasons, one of which, I bet, is some people assuming they'd be tougher on crime. Vox taking an increasingly larger chunk of the anti-separatist vote here makes it actually less likely that the anti-separatists will ever be able to unite to take power back from the separatists, which represents a real problem for those of us who believe that the Catalan separatist movement is bad for Catalonia, bad for Spain, bad for Europe, and bad for liberal Western democracy overall. And it represents a real problem for those of us who more generally support the values of liberal democracy and find the advance of hard-right sort of authoritarian parties in Western democracies kind of creepy. Fox will certainly benefit from a perception of out-of-control crime, especially since it'll be eager to link that perception of crime to its core message of opposing immigration. I could go on about the threat posed by that party and others like it in other European countries, who almost certainly benefit similarly from what I've been talking about today. As I said earlier, the nationalist far-right all around different parts of the West has a lot in common. But instead of diving too far down the rabbit hole of Spanish politics, I think I'll leave it there and just end by reiterating that we on the left should care about crime as an issue of fairness both to the victims of it and those who live in crime-heavy areas who, by the way, are disproportionately poor and more marginalized communities that our side cares about protecting, as an issue of economics, and as an issue of democracy to prevent dangerous right-wing extremists all over the West from using this issue to gain power that they would eventually use to do to our countries what people like Rodrigo Duterte and Jair Bolsonaro are doing to theirs. And we should, and can, do this while also acknowledging that in America especially, there are deep, deep flaws and structural inequalities in the way law enforcement is being done that are just crying out for reform. We are smart enough to walk and chew gum at the same time. We really, really should be able to do this. That's it for this episode of OK Talks. If you enjoyed the podcast and don't want to miss the next one, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, any of the main platforms. And hey, if you didn't like it, subscribe anyway. Better luck next time. If you really want to do me a favor, please like or review the podcast on whatever platform you listen to it, or better yet, share the show with someone who might be interested. Please do it. As always, I want to thank my friend Nate Wright for having designed the podcast artwork. Till the next episode, thanks for listening. <laughs>